the best stories and moments from travel you cannot plan. They just happen. It's good to leave your schedule open and not be on too tight of a timeline, I've found. Welcome back to the Live a Great Story podcast, a weekly show focused on inspiring you to live your own great story. Each episode touches on universal themes ranging from crazy adventures to overcoming adversity, making a positive impact, changing your life's course, and more important lessons that will help inspire your journey. I'm Zach Horvath, founder of Live a Great Story, and since 2014, I've been on a mission of inspiring and connecting people through stories. What started with some spray-painted street art has now grown into a worldwide movement. We are all on our own journey. No matter where we came from, what language we speak, the color of our skin, or anything that seemingly makes us different, in the end, we are all just humans living our own story. And it's up to you to be the hero of your story, which inspires other people to do the same. This podcast is all about inspiring you and your journey. If you resonate with this episode, please share it with someone who needs some inspiration too. And if you want a reminder to keep living your own great story, head to liveagreatstory.com to buy some inspiring apparel or accessories and for more stories from people just like you. Enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, Jeff? Welcome to the Live a Great Story Show, man. Dude, thanks for having me. How are you doing, Zach? I'm doing good today and uh, excited to be chatting, man. We've gone back and forth on social media for quite a while now. And uh, I remember when you first popped up with the Live a Great Story tattoo and I was like, what? And then you embarked on all these epic missions and you are currently on an epic mission and uh, you've been a cool member in the Facebook group. So look forward to actually talking and getting to know more about your story. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. We've uh, we've been in contact for a while now. And it's uh, it's good to finally get on a call here. Yes, I'm excited to see where this takes us because your adventures have taken you on some cool <laughs> places. So no doubt this conversation is going to go in a rad direction. But um, let's kick it off, man. Uh, what's your story, Jeff? So um, I never felt really super satisfied in in a sort of a career um, aspect, and I kind of knew early on that. I wasn't going to be a person that, you know, worked at the same job for 40 years. And I've got a pretty big thirst for adventure and travel. And um, I was working as a flight attendant when COVID happened and I got laid off. And I had a friend who would tell me these stories about like, the stories would always start the same way. When I was riding a bike across insert state or country here. And, you know, he'd have all these crazy stories about like when he was riding his bike. And I thought, you know what, I can do that one day I want to. So I got laid off because of COVID. I didn't have a lease on my apartment anymore. So I had nothing lined up and no time constraints or anything. And so I decided to cycle the Pacific Coast. And I did that with my best friend. That was two and a half years ago. Um, and that's when I first saw Live a Great Story. I was just scrolling through Instagram. And we were about maybe three quarters of the way done already. And I was like, man, this has been, you know, sort of a journey. And like, this is how I want to live if I can sort of curate my path towards doing more of this of this thing, you know, adventuring. And so as soon as I saw the Live a Great story, I instantly bought a flag and then after right after I finished that trip, like instantly booked a tattoo appointment, got a tattoo on my calf, and yeah, the rest is the rest is sort of history. But that trip was about forty three days down the Pacific coast. 
and we took about 10 rest days. So we averaged somewhere between 60, 70 miles per day. And um, that trip just totally opened my eyes of like this whole other way of traveling and um, taking extended time off because it's really cheap. And I decided, you know, if I can do a trip like this again, I really want to. And then when I really, really decided, okay, I'm going to do this and like, I'm going to book a flight so that I have to go, you know, that's the best way to do it, by the way. If you're thinking about anybody out there, if you're thinking about doing an adventure, book the flight and the rest will fall in line. You'll make it happen. That's crazy, man. Where did you see the Live a Great Story, that, that one? One of your ads that you had on Instagram. Okay, cool. I had never seen anything about it. Uh, I didn't even know about like the, the that spot in Austin, Texas on that path. Like the, the original. I'll have to pay homage one day. That's cool. So bicycling did that's is that something that you were like into before or your friend was just talking about it and you're like like i could do that or is it something that you're like oh man like i've been doing this for a long time i spent a lot of time on the saddle you know it's funny and people will probably laugh at me for this but i still don't consider myself a cyclist i just like the travel and i use the bike as a tool you get to see a lot and it's it's a good pace it's eco-friendly it keeps you fit but no, to answer your, I mean, I was not a cyclist whatsoever. My friend would just tell me all these stories and I was like, you know, do you think I could like cycle across my state? And he's like, dude, you can cycle for as long as you want. Like you don't have to be a super athlete. And when I say that almost anybody can do this, almost anybody can, do, there's people in their eighties that do this. Like you don't have to be super physically fit. You know, even sometimes I get up to a hill and it's like steep and I just don't feel like, you know, exerting myself. So I just get off and walk and some people might walk more than others, but I find that walking is, you're already going pretty slow on a bike, but sometimes it's nice to slow down even more and walk for a little bit and really take in the scenery. Because when you're on your bike, you know, a certain part of you is focused on the cycling and I have a mirror on my helmet. So I'm always looking for traffic behind me. And if there is traffic behind me, I watch them all the way until they pass me. So I make sure I don't get hit. So walking is a little slower at it's funny, I actually met a guy who walked to Alaska from Argentina. It took him four years. And he was like, yeah, walking is, is really slow, man. Like, I could see how cycling is a good mix of, you know, getting to slow down, but also being able to go through a region pretty fast. So yeah, you know, anybody can do this. Uh, you don't have to be some super athlete. And you don't even need to train, really. I mean, training would help. And like, a lot of people will start off with, you know, an overnight trip, like they cycle from their house to a campground or a, a park or something, you know, sleep there for the night and then just cycle back to their house. So if you want to get into it, you know, dip your toes. It's really easy to do because you can just cycle, you know, one day away, cycle one day back, call it a trip. I never did an overnighter. My first cycling trip was 43 days long from Canada to Mexico. But I think there is something to be said for just jumping into the deep end for a lot of things in life. I think it's a good way, as long as, you know, you're somebody who is confident in their ability to overcome some adversity and some challenges all by yourself. I think uh, just jumping right into it is a good way to start. Man, that's crazy. You're like, <laughs> <laughs> let's start off on this adventure, like 40, you know, however long it's going to take. I'm sure you, you know, <laughs> thought it was going to take somewhere in that time frame and, and then just start pedaling. That's wild. Yeah. And some people were like, dude, you can't just like, you're not going to be able to cycle 50 miles every day. Like you, your body will just, you know, wear out. But those are people who I find that people give advice. 
maybe not a lot, but sometimes in life where they don't really have any experience, you know? And so my friend who would tell me all these stories, he was like, dude, you can crush 50 miles every day easy. Like you'll be fine, you know? Uh, But all these other people were like, you can't do that for two weeks straight. Like, you know, so I don't know. I think listen to people less in life, but you know, nobody really knows what they're talking about. (laughs) Where did you start in Canada? Uh, So for that first trip, I'm from Spokane, Washington, which is on the eastern side of the state, right next to Idaho. And so uh, I did that trip with my best friend. And we loaded our bikes and camping equipment up into the back of my mom's truck. She drove us uh, directly north. There's a border crossing, like a couple hours north. And so we started there. We kind of went diagonally across Washington over to Seattle and then stayed with some family friends there for, took three days off. And then we cycled down to Portland, took another few days off. Uh, down to Eugene, uh, took a day off, and then we went to the coast and followed it all the way. And our last sort of break was in uh, San Jose. We had a buddy from college who was living there. So we took another like three days off there. So yeah, the the coastline is incredible. I'm still missing a little portion of it in Oregon and Washington. I'm sure one day I'll finish it if I am feeling motivated. But yeah, that was just an awesome eye-opening trip. And one that just, you know, an experience like that, you can't buy it. You have to put in the work yourself. And there's something to be said for earning things rather than buying things, you know? Man, you have all these great (laughs) (laughs) one-liners. I listen to a lot of podcasts and, you know, people on adventure podcasts, they also say a lot of inspiring things. So I think I just pick it up. Uh, You can't earn it. You you gotta, or you can't buy it. You gotta earn it. That's a good one. You gotta earn it. Yeah. Yeah, man. So how did you make... So I'm, I'm packing for this trip, right? And so I've been like watching people's, yep. you know, videos on how to pack and different things like that. How did you, how do you pack for this? Like, what are the gear from the bike, for your clothes, for, you know, just safety? Like, what are, what are all those things you're taking with you? Yeah. So we carry these uh, specifically designed bags that mount to the frame of the bike so that you don't have to carry any of the weight on your body. One, because it's safer. Like if you have to, if you're about to get hit by a car and you need to jump off of your bike, you don't want to be weighted down. Secondly, like if you wear a backpack, your back is just going to be a sweat puddle all day, every day. And so you don't want anything. Some people do like a small hydration pack, but I carry a three liter water bladder now in the frame of my bike. So I can, the the hose runs up to the handlebars. So, so packing stuff, I mean, we would carry, you know, a couple pairs of cycling underwear that we'd switch out and then wash. On that trip, I think I don't even I didn't even have pants or socks. I don't think we we both just wore sandals the whole trip. And you know, some people use the clip-in shoes, but I've read some studies that that only increases your efficiency by like one percent. So I was like, there's no point in doing that. So we just wore sandals because it was the summer and we were you know on the coast. <laughs> but you pack very minimal clothing. I think I only had two shirts, two pairs of shorts, a couple regular pairs of underwear. You definitely get accustomed to being generally more dirty than you usually are because, you know, you're cycling for a few days without a shower. So you bring baby wipes to clean yourself at the end of the day. If it's good enough for a baby, it's good enough for me, right? And then, you know, you carry bike bike maintenance stuff. So tire irons, patches, a pump, a spare tube or two. And then um, for safety, like I think I just had bear spray. Because, I mean, there is some bears up in Washington. I mean, I didn't want to carry, I'm not, let's not get into it. I don't care what your opinion, anybody's opinion is on guns, but I just didn't want to have one with me. 
Um, so I just carried the bear spray and I still have bear spray with me now. Uh, and you know, it works on people too. So if, in case I need to, I've got at least a line of defense. How many times, uh, like uh, on average, do you have to like change a tire? Um, so on that trip, we each, it was 2,300 miles and we each got, I think seven flat tires. So that averaged out to like one every couple of days on this trip so far since Alaska, I've gotten like 20 flats. I've gotten pretty unlucky with a lot of little thorns and a lot of little pieces of metal that you can't see or avoid. I'm hoping that it'll get better in Mexico, but part of me thinks that there might be more thorns in Mexico, but I mean, you know, it's, to me, it's just a part of the, part of the trip. I mean, now it only takes me like 20 minutes to change and get going again, but it used to take like 40. So I don't know, a little 20 minute break here. Usually if I get a flat, like open a bag of snacks so I can at least munch on something while I'm changing it. I'm always listening to music. So it doesn't really bother me getting a flat tire. And I mean, I don't let anything ruin my day. I, I usually, I just picked up this beautiful hat. Live a great story. But before I got, I had this hat every day, I would wear a hat that said positive vibes only. And that's sort of my, my mantra is like, why would you dwell and give energy to negative things when you could just focus on the bright side? And like, sure, I have a flat tire now. And some people would be like, oh, that sucks. But also like, I'm out here, you know, living my dream and this is a part of it. So I just embrace it. Yeah, man, that's awesome. So many, you know, got to go through some stuff at least. All right, so you did this. Actually, I'm enjoying this podcast because this is much more conversational. A lot of the other ones I've had, I just ask a question and people just talk and talk and talk. And it's really cool because, I mean, I just like listening to their story. Yeah. Um, but this is nice because it's like back and forth a lot faster, which is, I appreciate this. Uh, and I have like tons of questions, so this is, this is good. Um, so you started this trip in Alaska. So what is it like riding from Alaska all the way down through Canada? And like, you know, even because that's like a significant portion. Like you did, you did a lot or last Canada to Mexico, which took you 43 days. But I'm assuming that like that Alaska to us border is probably like a significant amount of time and, and is way different than, you know, probably like the roads here in the U S. Yeah. Most people don't realize how big Alaska is. Like if, you know, if you had to guess, you know, I mean, most people, a lot of people say Texas is the, you know, if you ask them what's, what's the biggest, if you split Alaska in half, it would be our two biggest states. So it's over double the size of the next state. Like it is by far our largest state. And so I did skip a, a little portion of Canada, little portion, like 900 miles. But yeah, so I flew up with my bike all boxed up uh, to Dead Horse, which is on the Arctic Ocean. And it, the only reason the city exists is because there's oil fields there. And so the pipeline runs all the way up there. And so there's no grocery store there. I didn't realize this, but you have to fly in with like two weeks worth of food because there's nothing out there. Like for the first 500 miles from Dead Horse to Fairbanks, there's only two places in 500 miles and they're both the exact same. It's a like pretty rundown motel, like not the nicest, you know, motel, a kitchen and you can buy gasoline for your vehicle. So there's no sort of, you know, dry foods. Like I need to carry, you know, trail mix and dried fruits and, you know, stuff that is good for a long time, but they have a kitchen. So that's good for, you know, a meal or two if you stay the night there. But yeah, you got to carry all your stuff with you. And the first 500 miles of Alaska is called the Dalton Highway or almost the first 500 miles. 
is the Dalton Hallway. And the only reason that road exists is because they used it to build the pipeline. And it is almost all completely unpaved. So for the first 10 days of my trip, it was like all gravel. And I mean, my bike isn't made, it's not suited for that. It worked just fine. But I could see how if you had a better setup, you could do a lot more miles each day or whatnot. The worst part about that was, you know, the flats were fine and climbing the hills for the gravel was fine. But then when you're going downhill on gravel, you can't go super fast or else your stuff will do, you get like death rattle. All the stuff on your bike just is shaking and like it feels sort of not safe. So it sucked because, you know, you'd spend an hour climbing this hill and then you all you want to do, and I love going fast on my bike. All you want to do is go as fast as possible, but I would have to break down hills and oh, it was the worst. It's like you're doing so much work and you don't even get to like reap the reward. Exactly. <laughs> like- exactly. exactly. Yeah. And so when I was um, in Alaska, I had already purchased um, a flight out of Seattle. So I had to go to the East Coast to officiate a friend's wedding. And so I was on a little bit of a time crunch. And so I wasn't able to cycle all the way through Canada. I would have had to just crush so many miles and it just would not have been enjoyable. And I'm not, I'm not out here to suffer. I'm out here to relax and have a good time. And some people in Alaska would tell me like, oh, you should take the ferry. The ferry's a good time. Like they've got great food. You can camp for free. And I was like, oh, that sounds fun. And then I realized like, I'm not going to make my flight if I cycle all the way. So I was like, oh, I have to take the ferry, you know? And so I cycled from Dead Horse to Haines, which is all of Alaska, north to south. You know, I don't think you can go any further, really. And that took about 20 days of cycling. And I think it was around 1,200 miles. Uh, so I averaged somewhere 50, 60, maybe a little less. And then I took the ferry. And that was a three-day-long ferry from Haines to Bellingham, Washington. And it was just incredible. There's You can get a cabin on the boat, but it costs, it like it doubles the price of your ticket. And, you know, I was, I just camped for 20 days. So I was like, I don't need, you know, a bed. And some locals told me like, oh, there's a helicopter pad on the top deck of the boat and you can camp, you can set up a tent there. But there's also this sort of solarium area, like with tinted glass um, all over the roof so that the sun kind of warms it up. And they also have heat lamps in there. And there's all these like, you know, those lounge chairs that are by pools that can go all the way flat. There was a ton of those in there. And so I just like put my sleeping bag and pad on one of those right below a heat lamp and just kind of tucked all my stuff under, under the thing. And there was, we had a nice little community up there. It was like, we were the the outcasts or whatever, like all the regular folks were down in the, in their rooms, but we had a nice little community. Yeah. So it was, it was looking back on it, you know, I thought that this cycling trip would be all about cycling the miles and like the beautiful views, but I've very, very early on, I re- realized that it would be about the people that I get to meet along the way and sharing experiences and, and stories with them. Wow. Yeah. That's how it is, right? It's, it's, you think it's like the destination or like seeing this amazing view or, you know, going all these touristy things or, you know, whatever it is, the beach, like whenever you go anywhere, there's, there's the stuff, but it's very rarely the stuff. It's more often like the people and the in-between experiences, it's the conversations, it's the flat tires, it's, you know, all the other kind of colorful elements of a trip that really oh, yeah. bring it together and are the most memorable because you get there and you see the view and everything like that's cool. Like I think about 
just talking about that brought these two ideas to mind. I was in, um, I went to Bali like almost five years ago and I was in this area called Nusa Penida and it's one of these islands and there's like insane views and I got sick like on the way to this island and had this Airbnb and I was like dying sick. I must've drank the water or like ate some bad food or something and I was dying, but I was like, I I have to see this amazing place. And so I was just like not, I, I rented a motorcycle because it's like this really rocky, like pretty much all over Bali, you can ride a scooter, but I've talked to someone that like, no, do you like get a motorcycle? So I got like a baller, like, you know, dirt bike. And, um, and I was just like ripping it, but I was like not sleeping, sweating like crazy through the night, just like waking uh, up in a puddle and then I'd wake uh, up and I'd be like, man, I got to like suck it up and go out here. And so then I'd like ride like all across and, you know, I saw these in- insane views, but more so than the views, it was these two experiences that stood out. I was flying my drone there and I was like at this crazy, insane view. It's like Diamond Beach. It's like crazy waters, cliffs. It's absolutely incredible. And I'm flying this drone in like this hut so I can see the like, the, and all these people, like all these other tourists started coming around me and they're just like waiting for me to finish flying this drone. <laughs> I'm just like, and like, and like, I don't think anybody spoke English actually. And so I'm flying it and then I just showed all these like, these people from China and these people from South America and like all these yeah. different people. And they're just like, and I was shown the video and they're like, ah, <laughs> like freaking out. And they're like, oh my God. And, and I just airdropped all these people, this drone footage and they were loving it. Oh, and, yeah. um, and then, so it was like really cool to do that. And so that, that memory, and then I was riding back on that motorcycle through these like windy dirt roads where it's like, you know, gravel. And all of a sudden my brake, snaps dude like the like the clip you know like there's like like it's like a motor there's like yeah. a bike where there's like the clip yep. and that thing just snaps and my my brake my front brake is just like flopping like this <laughs> and uh i was like oh my god and uh literally like right as i realize it i see 15 guys just like sitting on the side of the highway or, or like highway like road right here and i and i just like literally just like pull in and it happens to be a like Vespa scooter repair shop. And, and I just get sworn by all these guys and they're trying to fix my thing. And they're like banging on my motorcycle, like handles, like trying to like, you know, jer- like rig this thing. And they're just all like, blah, 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 blah. and I'm just like, you know, it's so funny. And uh, it was like a dollar 50 to fix yeah, it. I was, was going to say, and they probably charged you like what, $2 for it. Yeah, dude, I've heard like, I've always, I've been trying to get over to Southeast Asia for like a long time now. Uh, but something always just like gets in my way. But like, I've wanted to, you know, rent a, a motor, a motorcycle or something in like Vietnam in the north and then like cycle all, or, you know, go all the way along the coast. And I've I've heard all these stories about people like, oh, I like thought I totaled the bike and I took it to a shop and then they fixed it for like 12 bucks. And I'm like, gosh, dang, like, you know, I hope they tip these people because that's like, you know, incredibly <laughs> nice of them to, you know, help and charge them so little. Yeah, the the how money works over there is is quite a wild thing and then the people are just so nice on that same trip i like was dying and i like pulled over to the side of this place to ask directions and the the guy you know there's no communication you know they're in like a small village or whatever on like up on the hill on this random island and uh i'm just like you know visibly sick and the guy's like you're sick and i'm like yeah i'm sick (laughs) (laughs) and he just like hands me these pills and he's like here you go. And I'm just like, 
<laughs> Whatever you're giving me, I'm taking. <laughs> and uh, yes, but anyway, it's like the it's it's those things. Yeah, the view was cool. You know the whatever the content and everything, but it's it's those in between times that yeah are the special ones. And a lot of people, I don't think, um, if you don't travel a lot, you don't have you don't have experiences like this. You think that it's like going to the Eiffel Tower or whatever, right? Like seeing the canals in Venice or, you know, yeah. pyramids. And so you like schedule all that stuff in. You're like, check, check, check. Like we need to see this. We got to go to this museum, this church. And it's like, you got to leave, you got to leave wiggle room for like the in-between stuff that really, and, and, and then take time to like appreciate that because oftentimes that's the stuff that like you really look back on. You're like, man, you remember this one time? Like, <laughs> yeah. To, to strike the same chord, uh, so it's a long story, but this guy picked me up. I was walking my bike up a little hill because I, I walk occasionally. And um, this guy stops and he gets out of his truck and he's like, hey, I'm going to Reno. You need a ride? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like I was going to get there, you know, later in the day. But I was like, sweet. Like I can get there super early. Like maybe find a place to do some laundry, you know. And it's this whole chain of events. So it turns out this guy was sort of like a functioning alcoholic. And he's like, hey, by the way, can you drive? And I was like. Yeah, I can I can drive your truck, sure. So I drive this guy's truck to Reno as he's like drinking tall boys in the shotgun still. And I'm like, you know, I don't judge people. You live your life, you know. Maybe you don't drink and drive, I don't know. But um so anyways, long story long, but I end up in Reno and I call a couple motels, like asking, like, hey, what's your price? You know, it was like double what I wanted to pay. And I was some so for some reason I just thought to myself, you know what? Go to REI because I usually always stop at REI to pick up like, you know, some freeze dried meals and shop for some stuff. And I thought to myself, go to REI and maybe somebody will see your bike outside and like, I don't know, invite you to stay at their place or whatever. And it totally happened. Like I got to REI, I'm taking my helmet off and these people are like, oh, did you cycle here from Alaska? And I'm like, yep, I did. And then I'm shopping later and some random guy comes up. He's like my age and he was like, do you like know anybody here in Reno? Like he got family or friends? And I was like, no. And he's like, where are you staying? I was like, oh, I'm, I think I'm going to get a motel. He was like, dude, forget the motel. Come stay at my place. I'll make uh, beef tacos tonight. Like we can hang out. You know, you can do laundry, take a shower. And I was like, oh, dude, like, thank you so much. You have no no idea how much this means to me, you know. And I, I've been taking in a lot. And it's, it's really nice to see the hospitality that random strangers have for you. Um, but this is a long story. But... So this guy takes me in in Reno, and the next day he was like, "Hey, I'm going to go to uh, the Carson City Hot Springs with my girlfriend. Um, you're more than welcome to join us." And it's about 35 miles south of Reno. So I was like, "Sweet, I'll pack my bike up. You know, I'll get a free 30 mile, 35 mile ride out of it. Get to do the hot springs, and then I'll cycle a little bit, find some place to camp for that night." And as we're at the hot springs, uh, I'm you know relaxing, and it's so nice and therapeutic to be in the warm water. And uh, I say to him, "I'm like, oh man, hot springs are like really nice, like." We don't really have them where I'm from. And he goes, oh, if you like hot springs, you need to go to this hot spring called Buckeye Hot Springs. It's outside of Bridgeport, California, on my way down the 395. So I was like, awesome. I'll, I'll definitely hit it up. So I end up there, you know, two or three nights later. And I get there when it's dark. And I think, you know, okay, I'll, I'll hit the hot spring at night. Maybe I'll do it in the morning. And then I'll continue on my way. And I ended up spending five days there, uh, including Thanksgiving. So, you know. To, you said, you, you know, you got to leave some time in your schedule when you're traveling and stuff, you know. I mean, I have all of the time. So I just decided, you know, uh, the first night I camped by myself, but then the next morning I met this um, guy that was around my age. 
down at the hot spring, um, and he was doing the cold plunge. This this hot spring is phenomenal because there's a partial cave that you can go under. Uh, there's a, a the hot water comes over it, so it's like this hot waterfall, and then just two feet away is a freezing river, so you can cold plunge, and you have the hot spring, and like it was just beautiful. You're in the woods. There's no you know it's like this wild spot. Hopefully it doesn't blow up too much because I'm name dropping. But yeah, if you are ever looking for a hot spring, man, Buckeye is just phenomenal. And so, yeah, I spent five days there. I think I got in almost 10 times total and just relaxed. And I met this guy and he was like, oh, like, come have breakfast. And I was like, sure. Like, (laughs) yeah. So I helped, I chopped up the potatoes and he cooked up some scrambled eggs and everything. And then, you know, that was the first morning and I was like, oh, how long are you going to be here? And he was like, oh, I'm here for, you know, a long weekend. And I was like, yeah, I was thinking about leaving, but this place is so nice. Like, I think I might stay. And he was like, dude, just, you know, he had like his own little sec, this really nice section of forest service land. And he was like, dude, pitch the tent right here. You're more than welcome to stay. I've got plenty of food. I can feed both of us. And so we would like, you know, hit the hot spring in the morning, come back, make some food, you know, chill out by the fire. He had a guitar and a bongo drum. So it was just like, incredibly good vibes and uh yeah it got stuck there for five days but it was it was incredible and stuff like this there's this great quote by this guy uh he hitchhiked around the world and when he started he only had fifty dollars uh his name is christopher shot he's on some podcast that i listen to and one of his quotes is the best stories and moments from travel you cannot plan they just happen and that's like something like that so it's good to leave your schedule open and not be on too tight of a timeline I've found. Most definitely. Definitely agree with that. It's fu- it's cool you're showing all these stories and it like brings up you know similar parallel ideas or you know memories, uh, which I think is the coolest part about stories. And it's like why I do this st- story nights because it's you know, someone shares a story and it like, oh, that reminds me of this one time, and then you know, it kind of creates this uh, you know, I, I also was I was hitchhiking and got picked up by a functioning alcoholic and he's, you know, wearing his like single cab truck. So it's like me, my buddy, my buddy has this guy's dog on his lap and, and I'm, you know, I'm in the middle or yeah. And, and, and whatever. And he's like, he's got a, you know, chewing tobacco dip in. So he's got a fat lip, chain smoking cigarettes, telling us about how he blacked out in Texas and woke up in, in Oklahoma driving. <laughs> We're like, Oh my oh, dude. <laughs> Uh, so so that trip you did in Bali was that after that you came back from that trip is is that when you did the live a great story the first time or no so the Bali trip was in 2018 um, and the live a great story trip was in 2012 so what's really cool is yeah 10 years ago basically uh, I bought a one-way ticket to Europe and traveled for seven months and so that trip was yeah I was 22 you know was wanted to travel saved up, sold my car and took off on that trip. And so that's where Live a Great Story started. And and what's cool now is, you know, I've done tons of traveling since then, but now like 10 years later, my girlfriend and I are gearing up to take this uh, around the world trip. Um, so that's like really cool that one trip a decade ago changed my life. And now going on another, you know, epic around the world trip um, with my partner is, you know, something that's really wild. We're leaving two weeks from today. 
Dude, that's incredible. So what are, you know, what's the first stop and what are some of the other, do you have, how many flights do you have booked? Is it, you just have one booked or? We have now You have some booked, connecting ones? Two booked. Yeah. Two booked. Three, almost three booked. Uh, so we have the original flight that's going to take us from Austin to Bangkok. And then we're going to spend New Year's in Bangkok. And then we're going to take, we have the next flight from Bangkok to Chiang Mai. And we're going to basically, we have a Airbnb for a month in Chiang Mai. Nice. Yeah. I, you know, I was so into the the whole Southeast Asia thing and like people moving over there, you know, with the, to do businesses and stuff. And Chiang Mai is like one of the hot spots to, cause that's uh, up in the North, right? In the jungle. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be, dude. And you're going to be in Bangkok for New Year's. That's going to be, that's going to be wild. That's going to be a good time. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, there's so many cool things, but yeah, Chiang Mai is basically where like digital nomading started. <laughs> it's like the original like yeah. place. So Really excited about that and home basing out of there for a month. So instead of like living out of a suitcase and bouncing around a lot, we're going to settle down, have like a house, have a little bit of a routine, a little bit of a, you know, structure so that we can, you know, maintain real life, not like travel life. Cause I think travel life can only be sustained for so long. And, you know, you're moving yeah. every day or you're, you know, you're meeting too many people and those people are leaving and you're leaving and, and so it's like, no, let's like get a place, you know, have a coffee shop, have a co-working space, you know, doing yeah. other worky stuff a little bit and then, you know, being able to explore and see what happens. Yeah. Put some semi-permanent roots down for a little bit. Exactly. Do you know where you're going to go after Thailand? We're going to Vietnam. Vietnam. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, you're, you know, you're like, ah, oh, I would love to motorcycle all the way up and down. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I would kind of love to do that too. <laughs> like, maybe. You're like, I'm about to be yeah. there too. Yeah. Yeah. We're, um, we're staying right in the middle of Vietnam. So it's a city called Da Nang. And so there's kind of two bigger cities that are on the north and the south. And this is kind of like one of the third cities. So that's, most likely where we're going to kind of settle down, but at some point we're going to go to those other cities. And so maybe we do it by, you know, motorcycle and a little bit lighter weight, you know, leave some of our stuff at our other place. Um, we're getting a discount, you know, on when you book an Airbnb for a month, they usually give you a discount. And so already, you know, the housing and everything is pretty discounted compared to, you know, uh, us prices, and so we're able to, you know, save significantly amount of much more money living in Asia and not paying rent in the U.S. Oh, yeah. I, I used to I saw this video by a guy. and he, he had a budget of six hundred dollars for rent and food and everything and entertainment. And he lived in Chiang Mai. I forget how much he got. As a, and I'm sure Airbnb might be a little bit more expensive, but I want to say he got his apartment for something like something crazy, like two hundred, two hundred and fifty dollars for a whole month. like. Yeah, it's crazy. People, you know, I, I was just talking to somebody who lives in uh, like Laguna Beach and he was like, you know, I love the area and everything, but I'm paying like $1,700 for a studio apartment. And I'm just like, how, how much, like, how can you afford that? And like, this dude just worked at like, you know, whatever, uh, a gelato coffee place. And I was like, how can you pay $1,700 a month in rent? Like that is insane to me. The most I've ever paid, you know, Obviously, it all depends on location. Location is everything. But like Spokane is a, a pretty inexpensive city. You can get a two-bedroom apartment for like 900 bucks. Uh, in college, I paid $237 for rent in a house that I split with like a bunch of people. 
but when I was living in Philadelphia, it was the most I ever paid, which is still, I'm going to say this number and people are like, that's not even that much. But to me, it was like, this is so much money. It was like $750, which like, it, you know, most people are probably paying that or more. And to me, I was just like, I just all, you know, so much of my income going to rent, like I could save so much more money living anywhere else. And like, then I can save up for a trip like this. Um, and <clears throat> I was actually working as a flight attendant when I decided that I wanted to do this trip. Um, I used to be a flight attendant for American airlines, did that for a few years and it was a great job. I loved it. Um, got to live in Boston, Philly, Chicago, Dallas for a little bit. Um, and it was just a really hard job to save money. Um, I'm sure you could, if you're more, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I don't like to cook. And so every layover I had, I'd eat out for every meal and like, it just got expensive. And so when I decided I wanted to do this trip, I quit that job and became a blackjack dealer at a casino, uh, which is a fun job. And you know, I mean, I like people like when I was a flight attendant, I like, you know, serving people. And I like to work first class because you can develop more of a relationship with your customers, um, your guests, and you really get to feel like, you know, you're providing them a service by constantly waiting on them, asking them if they need anything and stuff like that. Um, and blackjack dealing was fun because you get to meet all sorts of people. And sometimes you, you know, hopefully you are winning people money because everybody just has a much better time. And it's not, it's not even my money I'm giving away. Like I'll give you as much money as, you know, as we can, we can get you. But, um, it was a lot easier to, to live in Spokane full time, uh, and save money for this trip. So for about a year or a year and a half, I just head down, worked, saved as much money as possible so that I could, you know, pay for this trip. And uh, this should, I think it's going to take me about 13 months um, total. When I started, I was going to try and do it in like nine months. Uh, but then I took like six weeks off almost in a row um, just because certain things, like I had that flight to go to the East Coast. And so when I took the ferry to catch the flight, I got to Seattle, you know, 10, 12 days too soon. But if I was to cycle for those, for that amount of time, it would have just been killer, like I was saying. So I took the ferry. I had 12 days off. Uh, I stayed with my cousins who live in Seattle area and then flew over to the East Coast. So I was there for like a week. And then when I came back and I was about to start cycling across Washington, um, one of my skydiving friends hit me up and he owns a, like a tech company um, that's done some work, I think even for like the secret service or, you know, so like pretty high up there stuff. And he was like, Hey, I need, you know, I need people on the ground in Florida to help with the hurricane. And he was like, do you want to go? Like, you know, we'll, we'll fly you out. All your hotels are paid, you know? And I was like, sure. Like I'll go, I'll go help with the hurricane. So that was another like two weeks. So I took a, a good chunk of time off and I sort of realized nine months was not going to happen. Um, but now my plan is I've got a buddy who's getting married next September and I don't like missing my friend's weddings. So the plan is to, to hopefully finish before then so that I can just fly back with all my stuff. Um, but if I'm not, if I'm, if I'm too far, I think I'm, I'll find a place to store all my gear. That would probably be like Chile, Argentina, or maybe Bolivia. And um, I'm going to fly home to that wedding because I don't like to miss my friend's weddings, but Hopefully I'll be done in about September and I started in August. So about 13 months for this trip. I think at, towards the end, I'll have cycled somewhere near 12, 13,000 miles. Um, and I think I've done about three or 4,000 now. So about a fourth to a third of the way done. But it, it sort of feels like this trip hasn't started yet. Um, Alaska was very different because 
I've never been there. It was so remote. Um, the landscapes are incredible. But this last, you know, month or so, cycling through the uh, lower 48, it's sort of like I had already kind of done it before. Um, I, I went on a different route, but, it, you know, it's still the same culture that I'm used to and everything. So it feels like I sort of haven't started this trip yet, but I'll be entering Mexico today or tomorrow. I haven't decided yet. Um, like after we get off this call, I might go cycle to Mexico, but I might stay another night here, do some laundry and some last minute buying of stuff. Uh, and it's going to be probably a little bit of a culture shock, but also going to feel like the adventure is really starting. So I'm, I'm super excited. It's kind of like I'm just diving into it. So after I finish the trip, we'll have to get on uh, another call and catch up. Most definitely, dude. We, we will do a recap of all this. <laughs> uh, would love to hear, yeah, the whole next part of the trip. And I mean, yeah, now, you know, now you're leaving, leaving uh, English, let's say. <laughs> like you've been in English for a while. Now you're about to be in uh, Spanish. Spanish for, a, for a long time, man. For, for the rest of the whole trip, it'll be Spanish. Do you speak Spanish? Um, not as much as I'd you're like about to. to. Yeah, I'm about to. I'm hoping I can find uh, some sort of a language program like uh, in, in the northern part of Mexico that I can stop at for, I don't know, a week or two, just relax, uh, go to school every day and learn some Spanish so that I can develop a sort of a good base in it. Um, there's, you know, people, a lot of people will be like, oh, he's cycling through Mexico. Like, that's the most dangerous thing in the world. I'd never do it, you know. Um, but I, I find that Almost, you know, all places are safer than, than you think they are. Um, and there's ways that you can obviously minimize your risk. Most crimes are just crimes of circumstance. So as long as you're not, you know, leaving your valuables places, you're probably not going to get robbed. I mean, of course, there is a chance that it always happens. But um, the, the biggest tips for, for cyclists, at least, um, they say you want to enter cities on enter and leave cities on big roads during the day. So you want daylight and you want to be, you know, a lot of people around. Um, but then after you get out of the cities, you want to try to get onto smaller roads uh, as soon as possible, I think. And then talk to the locals and talk to the police and ask them, you know, is I'm, I'm planning on cycling to this city on this road. You think it's, it's a safe area? Should I go on a different way? You know, and, you know, locals, they don't want to have their country have a bad name. So they'll, they'll tell you, you know, don't go over here. You know, that like it's it's maybe not safe for a gringo, but. Yeah, I think I'm. I was more worried like a few weeks ago about entering Mexico, and now I'm just like not worried at all. So um, I already have. I posted on a Facebook group, and I've got a place to stay my first night in Mexico. So that's a little less worrying for me and my parents now that we. I know that I've got a place to stay the first night. Do you have to? How did your parents feel about this? Um, you know, they they knew I did the last trip, and I think they were only marginally worried about that one, but. On that trip, I had my best friend with me. And so, you know, we're, we're two people as opposed to being just one person. Um, and so I think they were a little bit more worried um, about this trip. Um, still encouraging and supportive, but just a little bit more worried, especially, you know, because of all the countries I'm going to go through. Because, you know, that last trip was just the United States. But from what I read a lot online, people are actually, they feel less safe in the United States than all the other countries. So I, I think I'll be fine. Um, and I, I also have a GPS that I update my location or try to every night as you caught me. But um, it also has, I can send unlimited texts and receive texts anywhere in the world. So 
every night I, I text my parents that I'm in a safe spot and I've got my tent. So yeah, they worry a little less knowing each night that I'm, you know, hunkered down and in a, in a good spot. Got to keep the parents. Got to keep the parents. Yeah. yeah. Got to keep them happy. Uh, how much do you think this whole trip is going to cost? Um, I budgeted for like 10 to $15,000. Um, it's about to get drastically cheaper as I enter Latin America. Uh, Alaska was insanely expensive because I mean, they don't really grow anything up there. They import all their food and stuff. Um, especially, yeah, it's Alaska's expensive. Even their like motels, like some rinky dink motel is like $200 and they charge that because there's nothing else out there and you know, you're going to pay it or you're not going to pay it. They don't care regardless. So Alaska was super expensive. America's been, you know, I mean, coming down 395, like in the Mammoth Lakes or Bishop area, that's also sort of remote. And so stuff was like pretty expensive. I mean, like a little thing of trail mix for like $8 and I'm just like, geez. So I'm looking forward to Latin America because it's going to get a lot cheaper. Also, you know, there's going to be so many more hostels as I continue on. So, and those are, you know, anywhere from five to 20 bucks a night, as opposed to a motel being at least 75. So I think I'll be staying in, in a lot more hostels and which means I'll be cleaner because I'll be getting regular showers, which will be nice and a bed to sleep in. But I've been trying to camp as much as possible just to save money. Um, cause I don't want to run out and I don't know, you know, I might take a month off here or something if, if it's in my, in my timeline, um, just to like surf every day and be a, be a sort of a beach bum and live at a hostel. So yeah, I don't, I don't like to plan too far in advance. Um, most nights I don't know where I'm going to sleep and like a few hours before sunset, I have an app that has campsites on it and it works offline. So I'll check that and look and see if there's any camp spots around. Uh, if not, you know, I'll look on Google maps for wooded areas that are sort of off the beaten, off the beaten path or, um, on our last trip, when we did Canada, to, Canada to Mexico, it was like during COVID and the summer. So schools were a great option. Like we'd go find a school, go sleep in the baseball dugout or like on the far side of the football field, like away from uh, anybody or, or the school. And so that was nice. Uh, I've also slept at uh, like a couple of churches just like behind them. Uh, Cause I figure if, I don't know if the people that work at the church come find me, they won't be, you know, hostile. They'll be more, a little more welcoming. Um, yeah. I try to sleep in parks sometimes, but Mexico is going to be, uh, maybe hopefully some beach camping. Looking forward to, to some of that and all the warm weather, dude, in Nevada, it was freezing. Like I, I cycled down through, uh, Boise and I bought a, a vest from REI cause like I did not have enough cold weather gear. And by the time I got to Nevada, I mean, it snowed pretty regularly and the low at night was like four degrees, five degrees. Uh, and the high during the day was like 33, 34. So it was just freezing or below freezing for like two weeks. And I mean, you get used to it. You really do. And I'm from Spokane, so we get pretty harsh winters sometimes. And so I, I feel like generally I do well in the cold. Um, you know, put somebody from Los Angeles in that environment and they're just going to suffer. But I didn't think it was all that bad, especially you're on the bike and you're moving like your body is the engine. So it's, you're heating yourself up and, um, it's not too bad, but the sleeping at night was, I thought it would be a lot worse. My sleeping bag is only rated to 20 degrees. Um, 
but I have a liner that's supposed to add some warmth. And then I just would put all my clothes on at night and two pairs of socks, you know? And I mean, surprisingly, I'd say surprisingly, I got pretty good sleep even when it was super, super cold. So it wasn't a huge issue. It was just something to just a, a little bit of adversity. And, um, I didn't think that I'd have to worry about all my water freezing at night, you know? So I, I carry a three liter bladder and a couple bottles and like they just freeze. And so I started putting them in like in the sleeping bag with me so that I'd have at least some water in the morning. But yeah, that was sort of a struggle. I mean, who would ever think that, oh yeah, my water's going to freeze at night. I need to, you know, that's something that you don't really plan for. I don't think. All those little things you don't plan for that you're like, oh yeah, this is this is actually yeah. important. This happens. <laughs> cool, man. Well, this has been great. I'm I'm excited that we caught each other before you dip off into Mexico and uh, head, heading south of the border. So glad we got to squeeze this in, and excited to keep following the journey and seeing where it all goes. Um, I know you're chronicling a bunch of this. So where can people find you and you know tag along in the adventure? Yeah, I post the same daily story stuff on Instagram and Facebook. My Instagram is at I am Jeff Rowe, like I'm Jeff Rowe, I am Jeff Rowe. And then my Facebook is just Jeff Rowe, J-E-F-F-R-O-E. There's a picture of me on there with a sign. You can add me on either place, follow along. And then in my Instagram bio, I've got a link to live GPS tracking, some other stuff on there. If people are curious about the trip and want to follow along. Uh, but yeah, so mostly Instagram and Facebook for now. Eventually, uh, I carry a drone with me as well and, you know, GoPro and stuff. And that'll eventually get made into YouTube videos, I'm hoping. But that's a long way down the line. and I don't want to worry about editing anything now. So I just kind of record it all, throw it all on a hard drive, forget about it. So yeah, hit me up on Instagram. And uh, yeah, that's where uh, I post everything. It's great, man. Well, this has been awesome. Uh, you know, thanks for taking the time out and being a part of the community, uh, Live a Great Story community, and you know, I'm excited to have you as a live leader in this next section, next season, starting off soon. So, uh, definitely want to you know highlight everything you're doing, and you know, such an epic adventure. Um, so super cool, and uh, yeah, man, thanks for coming on. Look forward to following the adventure. Yeah, I appreciate it a lot, and dude, everything you're doing, like you inspire so many. I'm sure you get reached out to all the time, but I'm sure there's also so many people that you know just see a sticker and you know just like have a deep thought to themselves, and maybe they have no clue that it's a company or anything, but like just you, you for, maybe you do realize the inspirational factor that you have in people's lives. But if you don't, like, dude, thanks for doing everything you do, and like it's it's awesome that you know this is a passion project for you and. You're out there living it. Dude, you're going to have a killer time in Asia. I can't wait to see some updates. Oh, yeah, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Dude, thanks for your time. Appreciate uh, you having me on. Yeah.